Verse chapter 20. The answer to what is wrong with the world can be summed up in the breaking of the Ten Commandments. The breaking of the Ten Commandments. And um, I'd like for us to continue studying these commandments here in Exodus chapter 20 this evening. Last Sunday evening we noted the first four commandments. They are in relation to our relationship to God. And then the final six commandments are in relation to one another. The Lord Jesus said that we are to love God with all of our being and from that basis we are to love our neighbour as ourselves. And the Lord Jesus went on to say, in obeying these commandments, on them rests all the writings of the prophets and all that is found within the law of God. And uh, so the Ten Commandments are an expansion and at the same time a microcosm of all that God expects of man, to love God and to love your neighbour. Note there in verse number 12 it reads, we'll read from verses 12 to 17, Honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife or his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbour's. Let's bow for prayer. O God, we bless you and we praise you for your eternal word. We pray, O God, that you would teach us this evening how we can truly love you with all of our might and love our neighbour as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, and we went through verses 3 down to verse number 11, we noted four main commandments in relation to our God. That uh, God is to have the preeminence, verse number 3, thou shalt have no other God before me, that we are to worship the one and true and living God. And as 1 Corinthians 8 teaches us, there are many gods, many lords, but there is only one true living God. So what's wrong with the world? That we are not worshipping that one true and living God. We are not giving him the preeminence. And then from verses uh, 4, 5 and 6, it talks about the way we worship the one and true and living God. And there is the forbidding of any graven images and um, that uh, because God is spirit we worship God in spirit and uh, idolatry is is a universal problem and uh, and that's what's wrong with the world idolatry uh, a failure to worship God correctly to, a failure to worship the one and true and living God and a failure to worship him 
um, as he demands worship. God is spirit. We're to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we stressed the other week that the Bible talks about uh, demonology connected with idolatry. Wherever you have idolatry, you have demonic activity. That is a scientific fact. <laughs> okay? That is a biblical fact. And, and that's what's wrong with the world. We have idolatry. Uh, it's a universal problem. People are worshipping other gods, uh, have other lords, as opposed to worship the one and true and living God. And then verse number 7, we noted the importance of uh, reverencing our God, not to take God's name in vain, that there needs to be a reverence for God. And, and that's also another problem in the world. There is such a lack of reverence for the things of God. We have church buildings today that are turning into restaurants and uh, hairdresser salons, uh, and that is, that, that's irreverent as far as I'm concerned. Uh, buildings that were once upon a time set aside for the worship of the one and true and living God have been turned into businesses. And we have people that at lib uh, blaspheme God's name, take God's name in vain, curse God, and, and that's what's wrong with the world. And, 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 and God judges that. Uh, so we as Bible-believing Christians need to make sure that our lives show honour and reverence to Almighty God. Once upon a time, if you said that you were a minister, a pastor, there would, there would be a measure of respect. Today, zilch. Just about zilch. I make it a point to say I'm a Baptist preacher, and uh, very rarely. And not that I'm expecting respect, but... It's almost like most, they just laugh under their breath, you know. And, 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 and this is the problem with today. There is no reverence for the things of God and that which relates to the church of God. And then from verses 8 to 11, the principle of rest, that day of rest being that day of worship. Six days work, one day rest. Uh, we live in a day in which people are addicted to work and they don't see the benefits in having that day of rest. But that day of rest is not just a day to, to be a sloth. It's a day of, 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 of uh, structured rest, but it's also a day uh, of worship. And, uh, and I trust that your Lord's Day is a day of rest. If you are exhausted every Monday after the Sunday, there's something wrong with your day of rest. You're doing something wrong. Um, and I challenge you to consider uh, what, what am I doing wrong? Um, I'm exhausted Monday morning. You shouldn't be because it's the day of rest. Unless you're a preacher and you're preaching twice on Sundays, uh, then I think you've got the right to be exhausted, but I, otherwise I don't understand uh, why we are exhausted on, on, on a Monday if we are truly resting on the Lord's day. Now, if the uh, Jewish Sabbath has anything to do with the secret to being well-rested, they begin their rest on the Friday evening and they prepare for their day of rest. Uh, so maybe it's just a matter of some of us just going to bed a little bit early on a Saturday evening. Amen. And, um, and, um, and that, might, that might help. And maybe going to bed a little bit early on the Sunday evening uh, as well, that might help as well. Or maybe it's just a matter of us getting a little bit healthier and we might feel a little bit better rested. Okay, we'll press on. Um, so these are the first four commandments. 
relate to God. Jesus said if we love God with all of our being, then this will manifest itself by loving our neighbour. And this is what the remainder of the commandments address, our relationship to fellow man. And note then verse number 12, it reads, Honour thy father and thy mother. This is the rule of authority. Each of these commandments is a basic rule of conduct. This particular commandment here in verse 12 incorporated into the Ten Commandments, deals with children being trained to honour their parents. The bedrock of a stable society is a strong family where authority is established. Children are not to be left to their own devices. They are to be nurtured and admonished by the parents Uh, that brought them into the world. Instructing and discipline uh, begins right here with training our children to honour them as God-given parents. If children are trained to honour parents, they will obey them. That's why in the New Testament we see a link between honour and obey. They are connected. If parents are honoured, if there is a respect for parental authority, then naturally it will flow obedience. obedience. But also note then verse 12, it talks about honour thy father and thy mother that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Note the promise of longevity here in the book of Exodus. And uh, we see in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, where it connects honouring parents, our children being trained to honour and obey, it talks about longevity of, of life, but also good health as well. There is a connection there. Uh, In good health, there is longevity. It is within our home we are taught how to live. And it is the parents' responsibility to train their children to honour and obey authority. The breakdown in biblical parenting begins right here. When a child is not taught to honour and obey authority, their parents. This is where it all begins. Delinquent parents, delinquent children. Delinquent children, delinquent parents. Many parents should be put in jail for their failure to fulfill this mandate from God. We have delinquent children today because we have delinquent parents today. That's the cold hard facts. So what's wrong with the world? The breakdown of the home, the breakdown of, a, of parents training, teaching their children to obey and honour them. So parents, I warn you, train your children to honour you and to obey you. Otherwise, you are, you are raising a, leb, a, a rebel and one day this pastor might be visiting your child behind bars. And I don't want to do that. 
see. That's what's wrong with the world. Uh, it all begins with the home. Honour thy father and thy mother. That's what's wrong with the world. Children are left to themselves. Parents, Christian parents, I charge you to uh, teach and train and discipline your children to obey and honour you. And God promises longevity and good health. The next commandment, verse number 13, thou shalt not kill. This has been termed as the rule of life. The rule of life, thou shalt not kill. When God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, this was to increase human population, to help preserve society because people are created in the image of God. And life is considered sacred because God is the giver of life. Note there quickly in Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 6, it reads, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's a biblical principle, capital punishment. It's a biblical principle. But note the next part of that verse. For the image of God made he man. So because man has been created in the image of God, life is sacred. Man is sacred before God because man has been created in God's image. So therefore, if somebody terminates the life of an individual purposely, they deserve to have their life terminated. That's a biblical principle. The world would be better off if we would just honour that principle. <laughs> the Israelites were commanded not to take another person's life by murder, as Cain did with his brother Abel. This was the first killing mentioned in the Scriptures there in Genesis chapter 4, verse number 8. See, the taking of people's lives, murder, is forbidden by God. Thou shalt not kill. Why? Because it's already appointed unto man to die. God doesn't need assistance as to when it'll take place. God hasn't left it up to you and me to determine whether a person's life should be terminated now or later. Thou shalt not kill. This command is not in reference to being some crazy vain vegan God sanctions the killing of animals for food. This is in reference to deliberately taking the life of a fellow human being. Thou shalt not kill. God forbids the deliberate terminating of a life. Murder, abortion, euthanasia, now known as voluntary assisted dying otherwise known as V-A-D, or literally assisted suicide. This is what's wrong with the world. We're killing them before they're born, and now we're killing them in their prime age. That's what's wrong with the world. God forbids the deliberate terminating of a person's life. God will judge any people but take matters of life and death in their own 
hands. At the heart of the first murder recorded in the scriptures was a heart issue called anger. And this is why the Lord Jesus said such. Turn with me please to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 25. Our Lord said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or cursed, condemned, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. The Lord Jesus said, It was said, Thou shalt not kill. But he made a wonderful application and, and it connects with the first murder recorded in the Bible where Cain murdered Abel. The Bible says he was wroth, he was angry. So the Lord Jesus deals with the heart and uh, how many lives have been taken, how many people have been killed. Jesus said, if you get angry with a person, you commit murder in your heart. The Bible talks about in being angry, sin not. Let not, let not the wrath, uh, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. If you murder, you forfeit your life. This is capital punishment. The Bible teaches this principle. It's found throughout the scriptures it's mentioned once again in exodus chapter 21 verse 12 life is cheap and not valued as it should be that is what's wrong with the world do we value the life and the health that god has given to us by living for the lord do we value the life and health that God has given to us by living for the Lord. Thou shalt not kill. And Jesus said, you say you don't kill, but you are angry with your brother in your heart. So the Lord Jesus got very, very personal. He said, if you choose to be angry in your heart and you don't deal with uh, an issue with a fellow brother, that's like committing murder in your heart. Let me ask you, how many people have you murdered in your heart? I think all of us get angry from time to time. See? You say, oh, pastor, I've never murdered anybody. But have you been angry with somebody? Well, Jesus said, you've murdered. 
because that's where it begins. That's what took place in Cain's heart. He was angry with his brother and that led to the termination of Abel's life. Then we move on in verse number 14, please. Thou shalt not commit adultery, the rule of purity. This command is directed in protecting the sanctity of the home, the marriage. God ordained marriage for one man to one woman for life. And the permanence and the purity of the marriage union is a picture of our relationship to Jesus Christ in salvation. Salvation is eternal and in our new life in Christ we are to live holy lives. God sanctions faithfulness within the marital union and God judges unfaithfulness. Note there in Hebrews chapter 13 please. Hebrews chapter 13 in verse number 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 4, the Bible reads, Marriage is honourable in all. Marriage is worthy of respect, reverence, honourable. And the bed undefiled, the physical relationship within marriage is undefiled, it's pure, it's holy, but whoremongers, prostitutes and adulterers God will judge. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God judges severely sexual unfaithfulness. Note there in Leviticus chapter 20, please, verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. The Bible teaches... And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbour's wife, the adulterer and the adulteresses shall surely be put to death. That's pretty heavy. So throughout the Old Testament we see that God judges severely sexual unfaithfulness. This would clean up society overnight, would it not? Amen. Amen. This would clean up society overnight if the death penalty was introduced for adulterers. Whenever adultery takes place within a marriage, there is a betrayal of sacred marriage vows and trust is gone. That's why predominantly when adultery takes place within a marriage, the marriage is finito. Ends in divorce. 99.9999% of the time, it ends in divorce, which is very sad. And there are permanent scars on those that have committed adultery. Note there quickly in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, note then verse 32, it reads, Whoso whoso committeth adultery 
with a woman lacketh understanding. In other words, he's a fool. He's not exercising wisdom. And then note verse 32 goes on to read, Proverbs 6.32, He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A person that commits adultery is scarred for life. The soul, the mind, will and emotion, scarred internally. Note verse 33, A wound and dishonour shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. A person that commits adultery will always be considered an adulterer. That's what the Bible teaches. If you commit adultery, you will be forever and a day be referred to, oh, that's the adulterer. He committed adultery. She committed adultery. It won't be wiped away. Verse 34, for jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. Adulterers can develop a victim mentality. Was it my fault? I was enticed. And in verse 35, he will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou give many gifts. Instability instability. People that commit adultery are unstable to a measure. People that commit adultery, they have ruined themselves internally. And the Bible teaches us, thou shalt not commit adultery. It is tragic that with so few getting married today, as opposed to those that are living together in fornication, Two out of every three marriages end in divorce within seven years. The sanctity of the marriage vows are not honoured today. Immorality is a, is a universal problem within marriages. That's what's wrong with the world today. And you and I as God's people need to guard our hearts. Note what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5.28. Quickly, Matthew 5.28. The Lord Jesus said previously, thou shalt not kill, and if you are angry with your brother, you it, it's just as well that you've murdered somebody. And then note here in Matthew 5, 28, the Lord Jesus said, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his, where? Heart. That's where it begins. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Then go back to Exodus chapter 20. The Bible goes on to teach in verse 15, Thou shalt not steal. This is the rule of property. All that we have comes from God. Is he not the provider of all? And to take that which belongs to someone else, that God has provided for them, in essence, it is sin against God. It is also sin 
because we failed to look to God to provide. This command was given to encourage people to respect the property of others. If you go to Leviticus chapter 19, please. Leviticus chapter 19 once again. In verse number 11 it reads, Leviticus 19, 11, Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. So this commandment is all about respecting other people's property. And to steal conveys a lack of trust or a lack of contentment for what God has provided in taking from someone else. In John chapter 10, the devil is likened to a thief. So when we take that which belongs to another, we are doing the work of the devil. Those that steal are not just those that rob banks, rob homes, rob shops. They cheat people when it comes to business. They don't pay their employees properly. That's stealing. It's also those that get the wrong extra change down at the local Woolies and don't admit it and keep it. It's also those that find a wallet or a purse and keep the money and throw the wallet or purse away. It's also those that take goods from the workplace without permission. It is those that charge for a service or overcharge for a service given. It's also those that are not working when the boss isn't looking. It is those involved in scamming people of their money. And last but not least, it is those of us that rob God of his tithe, of our financial increase. Thou shalt not steal. Are you a thief? That's what's wrong with the world. That's what's wrong with the world. And I'm afraid God's people, many of God's people are robbing God. Robbing God. Robbing others and robbing God. And then verse number 16, please, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour. This is the rule of the tongue. Who is considered our neighbour in the Bible context? Fellow man. Fellow man especially fellow man in need. This command concerns bearing false testimony against someone that would cause unjust injury in some way, incriminate an individual. Note there in chapter 23 of Exodus, verse 1. Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. Thou shalt not commit, thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So this command involves protecting people's reputation. And it's summed up in the New Testament there in Ephesians chapter 5, please. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4, pardon me. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 25, it reads, 
Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbour. For we are members one of another. And note verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Words are powerful, are they not? They can either build up or tear down. God commands us to use our tongues as fountains of of blessing, to bless God and to bless others in James chapter 3. Telling lies of others or speaking against others is the work of the devil, for he is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12.10 The Bible calls this slander, which is blasphemy. It's the work of the devil. And Psalm 101 verse 5 reads, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbour, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Beloved, we need to guard our tongues, do we not? Against gossiping and being a busybody in the affairs of others. This is fertile soil in spreading lies with others. What's wrong with the world? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour. If you know, if you know of something that's an issue. Uh, you need to go to that person and, and, and address that person as opposed to bearing false witness to others. We need to guard our tongues. We need to be swift to hear, slow to speak. People say things that are not true and they say things that are not true with the intent to tear down. This is what's wrong with the world. Oh, if we would just guard our tongue. The book of James teaches us it's an unruly member. Who can fully control the tongue? Nobody can. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And last but not least, look at verse 17, please, of Exodus chapter 20. Are you still with me? This is what's wrong with the world. Summed up in the Ten Commandments. If we would just obey the Ten Commandments... Uh, we would live happily ever after. Last but not least, look at verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house, nor your neighbour's wife, nor their slaves, manservant, maidservants, nor their property, ox or ass, nor anything that is thy neighbour. Thou shalt not covet. This is referred to as the rule of contentment. This is the last, but certainly not the least, of the Ten Commandments. And this is why the world is in a mess. Covetousness. What's wrong with the world? Covetousness. Jesus Christ said, beware of covetousness beware of covetousness what is it to covet it is to desire that which you do not have right 
that which you don't have, but you see that somebody else has. That's to covet, to desire that which belongs to something else, to someone else that you want. To desire that which you do not have that belongs to someone else. That's what it means to covet. Thou shalt not covet. Now it's interesting that unlike the other nine commandments, this particular commandment focuses on an inward attitude, not an outward action. Okay, the other nine commandments are all in reference to an outward action. Steal, kill, adultery, bear false witness, etc. This particular one zeroes in on the heart. So therefore, the other nine commandments, we can say, can be enforced on man. You can enforce... Thou shalt not kill to a measure by making a law that if you kill, you forfeit your own life. You commit adultery, you forfeit your own life. You can control to a measure. But how do you enforce this? It's elusive because it's in the heart. It's in the heart. The breaking of this commandment takes place in the heart of man. That's why Proverbs 4.23 teaches us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart involves the mind, the will and the emotions. And it will affect a person's life and it will break out into hands and feet, lead to covetous actions. This command is a general safeguard against many other sins. Think about it, commandments 6 to 9 all deal with covetousness to a measure. Thou shalt not kill, commit adultery, not steal, bear false witness. It's all there. Covetousness is there. Israelites are not to long for or to die or desire earnestly, lust after that which legitimately belongs to others. The heart of man can't be fully satisfied with the things of this world. It's only our life in Christ that enables us to be satisfied. Jesus Christ said to that woman by the well, you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink the water that I offer you, you will never thirst again. So life in Christ is the key in guarding our hearts against covetousness. Yes, we need to be reminded that we battle with the flesh as believers. We need to walk in the Spirit and choose to be content and not become a victim of covetousness. Greed and debt are destroying people's lives. Breaking up families, 
and are serious liabilities to our society. See, God deals with us all personally and we need to rest in the Lord for our needs. And we need to thank God for what he has provided. Okay? So if you have a little Toyota, thank God for it. If you have a little Ford, thank God for it. The next time a Porsche is sitting at the lights next to you and you look over, thank God for your Ford. Okay? Thank God for your Toyota. Don't covet. It's going to lead to problems. Because by coveting, what are we saying in essence? We are saying, God, you've let me down. That's what we're saying. It's a slap in the face in God's face. God, you've let me down because I don't have a Porsche like this 90-year-old is driving a Porsche. Carry on like he's a 21-year-old. Obviously, he had a midlife crisis. You know, I just think it's so funny to see these expensive sporty cars and you've got this fellow behind the wheel that's very old. How ridiculous. So what are we saying when we are covetous? We are saying, God, you've let me down. That person has what I deserve. Is that correct? No. No. We're to thank God for what he provides for us. They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. And God deals with us all personally. And we need to just rest in the Lord. And as God provides our needs, be thankful for what he provides for us. So what's wrong with the world? Covetousness. An unwillingness to be content. So it's not complicated. It's not complicated. A summation of the Mosaic law is summed up in the Ten Commandments. And the breaking of these Ten Commandments, that is what's wrong with the world. And may God help us as Bible-believing Christians, lest we be guilty of breaking these commandments. People are not worshipping the one and true God. They have God's many, Lord's many. People are not worshipping God in spirit. Idolatry is a universal problem. People are not esteeming God highly. There is a lack of reverence for the things of God, His name, buildings, facilities, His ministers. People do not set aside a day for rest and worship. People are not instilling respect for authority within the life of their child. People don't consider life as sacred. Life is cheap. Purity is not being upheld as the standard within a marriage. People think they have a right to another person's possessions. People speak lies of one another in order to hurt 
and incriminate, tear down. And people are covetous. May God help us to be content. May God help us as Bible-believing Christians to only speak the truth. May God help us to respect the property of others and to just thank God for what he provides for us. And if I don't have it, then I don't need it. And God doesn't want me to have it. It's as simple as that. May God help us to be people of purity and holiness as singles, as married couples. May God help us to instill in our children honour and obedience to parents. May God help us to set the day of worship aside as a day of worship and rest. Most of us work five days a week. We've got no excuse. So we can prepare ourselves for the day of rest and worship. And where you could actually be rested and get something out of the messages as opposed to falling asleep or daydreaming or complaining on Monday morning, I'm just exhausted. Must have been because I went to church twice on Sunday. Well, then God's a liar. God's got it all wrong. I don't think so. I don't think so. May God help us as Bible-believing Christians to esteem God highly. And may God help us as Bible-believing Christians to worship the one and true and living God in spirit and in truth. What's wrong with the world? Here it is, the Ten Commandments. A failure to love God and to love thy neighbour. That is what's wrong with the world. May God help us as Bible-believing Christians to not be guilty of breaking these commandments as Bible-believing Christians. Let's bow for prayer.